Welcome to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. I'm Devin Bedoni of Lycan Precision. And I'm Uriel Eisen of Austere Manufacturing. And this is episode three. Um, today, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the ROI spreadsheet that Uriel shared with us last week. We're going to try and plug some, uh, some more real world examples into it and add costing and talk a little bit more about the specifics of that, how we, um, how we prioritize, how we, how we break out the costs, what those costs should be. I think this is something I'm definitely still figuring out. I think something you're still figuring out. Yes. Um, we're going to do a little recap on my job board that I got up successfully this last week. Um, and then <clears throat> a discussion of what non-value add um, processes are available to it sort of to attack for those of us that don't do continuous or repeat production work where it's very easy to analyze. Um, and then we got a couple other gimmies if we don't little tidbits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's, yeah, let's jump right into the spreadsheet. So why don't you, uh, I haven't actually seen it. So, oh yeah. So Ariel's well, going to explain it to me uh, so that you all can understand as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I'd preface it. Um, I got the uh, insight from a CEO of a big company <laughs> that spreadsheets and models are inaccurate typically, mm -hmm. but very useful for sensitivity analysis. And I've definitely found that to be true where you can sort of build a model and then start playing with the different inputs and see which ones have sort of an outsized effect. Yeah. I was thinking about this as I was walking down the down the path to the house this morning that similar to a budget, it's not going to tell you the truth, but it is going to give you a path in the dark, hopefully. <laughs> a path in the dark. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, otherwise it's just dark. Yeah. And I think like what I've found also is just when you start putting numbers on things, you can have specific disagreements. There's a very good talk from mm -hmm. one of those Google talks about like mergers and acquisitions and how the term strategic typically just means I want to do it. <laughs> right. Um, and then, but if you start putting numbers on, okay, what is that going to do to our, this aspect and that aspect, then we can have a discussion and a disagreement about a specific number yeah. and that's very informative. So anyway, let's get into it. Um, it. It's very simplistic. And I think already last week we were sort of like this doesn't account for the human aspects, whatever, enough caveats. Um, I'll just describe it. So basically, um, I just rebuilt it last night in a slightly different way, which I think is also interesting. Um, so work days in the week. So I put in five, whether that's real for every small business owner sure. is a question. <laughs> um, weeks in the year, 50. Uh, and then years so how many years is your time horizon mm -hmm. for your analysis and then time saved per day per improvement so like if you're putting five minutes into an improvement and that five minutes is going to save you one and a half seconds in time uh yeah so that's per improvement and then um time spent improving right <clears throat> and then off to the right it sort of gives you how many hours you save and hours spent on improvement yeah and then, so how did you plug in the cost? Part? So that was a, a new one. So, so it occurred to me that this one is looking at sort of how those improvements stack and how building a habit of improving really yeah. starts to compound. Specifically for time savings. Yes. So efficiency. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, so what I added to that, uh, so it occurred to me, okay, maybe instead of saying, okay, let's improve something every single day or let's spend time improving every week. What if we just started to look at what is the ROI on one improvement over time? Not I did one today and I'm doing one tomorrow and the next day and so on. Just I did one today, how long before that pays off? And so then on this one, we have uh, our hourly rate. So how many dollars per hour you're valuing your time at, mm -hmm. um, the cost of the project, the time in minutes you spent on the project and then time saved in seconds. And then I just broke it out into days ROI, weeks ROI, and months ROI. So yeah. you can kind of just, yeah. Anyway. Um, so I actually plugged in the Sandblaster just because okay. I was curious. I was like, because we had discussed like it's an expensive piece of equipment, 
not relatively to a CNC maybe, but relative to like color coding tape. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I put in an hourly rate of $100 an hour, which is definitely not what I'm paying myself. But so for the cost savings of what you spend doing it or the cost savings of the cost or the cost yeah. of the equipment. This is kind of this is what I wanted to get so, into. So okay, so this is yeah. the cost of me doing the improvement. Okay. So that's my hourly in doing the improvement. Okay. Again, I should probably lower that number, but I thought it would be like I think it's worth valuing your time. Yeah. Maybe ambitiously, but mm-hmm. I mean if I was consulting that would be a low rate, right? Which sure. is sort of um so then we have the cost of the improvement itself. I put in $3,000. I think it was slightly under that, but um, time in minutes, I put in 10 hours that I put into research. And it's, it's probably a little low, to be or honest. Just for the purchase. Yeah, just to make the purchase. And then, um, so then we have time saved is about 10 minutes a day. And then uh, it pays off in 28 weeks. So, okay. yeah, or pretty bad. I don't know. <laughs> I looked at it and I was like, yeah, damn. I was hoping for more. Li- I, I think like ROI of around a year is like, I know sort of a line in the sand that a lot of companies aim for. Yeah. I think a lot of companies, at least in the US, are maybe a little short-sighted, just like cultural incentives, market incentives. Um, you mean they should be looking out longer? That's my understanding from reading these books. But 28 it? weeks is less than a year, so that's good. Sorry, 28 months. Did I say weeks? Oh. 28 <laughs> months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. No, 28 weeks would be great. Yeah, okay. 28 months. So. Again, there were other reasons I made that specific decision, namely leaking abrasive in an environment that really shouldn't have <laughs> abrasives in it. Um, so that was big. Um, anyway. Interesting. Yeah. So two thoughts. One, this was a, a thought I was having prior that I think it's important to add the cost just on the time savings part because theoretically, assuming you run your business well, <laughs> yeah, you're making a profit margin on that time Mm -hmm. in the future so if you lose 10 minutes or an hour um i guess i'm thinking through this as i say it which is (laughs) not how i should be doing this but um it's kind of like interest there's potential for a lot more overall profit of that time saved over time right because and it's compounding Yeah. So you're making profits next week and then following week in those 10 minutes. Exactly. Maybe, hopefully. Yeah. So I think it's important to break out away from the just time for time model for that reason. Yeah. I would say this. This whole thing airs on the side of missing a lot of the upside of making improvements. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like it misses what you just said. It also misses the fact that... Um, it, it, it misses the human factors of like standing at that sandblasting cabinet was the worst job in the shop because it felt yeah. so mindless and yeah. so like just ridiculous. Um, so like there's that element, just like morale, I guess, and asking employees like, can you do this? And it's like, yeah. I hate this part of my day every day. Yeah, um, yeah I think it yeah, misses uh, the fact that like building a culture of continuous improvement has huge payoffs mm-hmm. and this doesn't even account for that and the fact that you're going to have some failures because that's how you learn, right? You're going to make some bad improvements and some bad investments. Yeah. And if you don't give that opportunity, not only to yourself, but also to your employees, yeah, they're not going to get good at making improvements and nor will you. So like, I think, but at the same time, you plug in these numbers and the ROI is really short on most of these things, right? Mm-hmm. So like, this is an example and I plugged it in because I think this is an example of like a big piece of equipment. Most of the improvements we're making we're spending, I don't know, five to a hundred dollars on yeah. sometimes a little more, but like, and that start, you just start to see how quickly that pays off. And I think again, like if you're looking out a week and saying, how busy is my week? Do I have time to make improvements this week? The answer is always going to be no. If you're any, if you're rational, right? Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, it will not pay off this week yeah. at all. But then it, like a lot of the improvements, like your ROI is around like one year is such a low bar to hit in terms of time spent to time saved. You're sure. going to be ahead after one year. Yeah. It, only considering the very limited number of things that this spreadsheet looks at. I do the same thing with my models, like try and keep it conservative and not optimistic. <laughs> right. Because it's very easy to just like be like, I want to do this. Right. Like just yeah. like the strategic thing. 
I want to make this happen. So I'm going to write a, you know, build a model that, that verifies my desire. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just totally understand. Um, I was interested in plugging in my, or just discussing, and maybe we plug in my standardized tooling purchases. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I did a similarly, a very simple conservative, it wasn't even a model. I just thought about it and then calculated it on my phone. And right. Was like, mm, I think that'll open be that okay. calculator <laughs> app. Open the calculator. App. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's my ROI, ROI uh, <laughs> modeling tool. Yep. Um, so I was doing it, uh, based on assuming uh, just a higher machine uptime. Okay. I didn't even calculate kind of, uh, operator wh whoever I was paying to change the tools. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so all I did was think through if it saved or if, if we gained three minutes of machine uptime. Okay. Per tool change. Oh, basically. Yeah. And cause we're not having to change the actual tool in the holder that, and we, I think I estimated at three tool changes per part changeover. Okay. Um, and I think I just used kind of like my base machine rate of 90 an hour, um, mm -hmm. like not with any profit margin or anything. And that's actually at the low side of what I try to quote at. Right. Um, so I'm kind of curious if we plug that in here, I think the, Maybe I don't have enough of the numbers, but we could just do it on a per tool basis. So, a oh yeah, that's a good idea. A tool holder was um, with a with a collet and a pull stud was like a hundred and thirty bucks or something. Let's say one thirty. Yep. Time in minutes that it took you to do that improvement. Um, it was a decent. Well, yeah, just setting each tool tool up was probably 10 minutes. Okay. And then purchasing was probably another 10 minutes per tool holder. So we'll say 20 minutes time saved in seconds. So that's um, how many second? how many minutes? Did 180, you say? 180, 180 seconds. Okay. Yeah. So you're at uh, three and a half, 3.6 months ROI, according to this very accurate model. <laughs> that's a lot better. Than, I think I had calculated like, over a year um, based on my simple my, my modeling tool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we could keep plugging things in. Like, I don't think this is complete and actually your, your, what you're saying about spindle uptime. So the way this model is working and it's a little simplistic is I took the hourly and I baked that in, I converted it to minutes basically. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying like it's $60 an hour yeah. and that's $1 a minute. So I just added, 10 minutes to the time it took us to make the improvement if that makes sense yeah as a way of keeping all the calculations kind of in time um sure anyway yeah i, I was the reason i was kind of wanted to discuss it more is because after deciding to make the purchase and doing it it's been great for all the other reasons you were just talking about as okay. well like reduced friction at changeovers i'm just being like there's not there's nothing in the back of my head that's like uh, we're going to be having to pull all these tools out of the machine. Like totally like, all the drills and taps are there. That's awesome. Yeah. And actually after buying all the drills and taps, I went and bought a bunch more shrink fit as well. Cause as soon as we weren't changing drills and taps, I was like, Oh, I'm changing all of these three sixteen oh, interesting tools all the time because I don't have enough of that size holder. Huh? Um, I was going to say that is if you make, if you do that change every day on that one tool, <laughs> Oh, sure. so I just yeah. realized like that's an assumption built in here that we could add a cell to change. So it's mm -hmm. 71 days of use, right? So if you did that once a week, yeah, then that starts to be like a year and a whatever that is. Yeah. It pushes it out quite a bit. Yeah. Like almost a year and a half yeah, ROI. Okay, that, that sounds more accurate to like kind of what I had calculated. Yeah. So it just depends how frequently you interact with that um, yeah. cost with that time savings. Yeah. So yeah, the friction has been greatly reduced. <laughs> with tool changes, the, um, there's a lot less ambiguity. Yeah. Um, this is sort of verging on a discussion for another time, but, um, I've been thinking a lot lately about kind of the, in, at least in a machine shop, or I think this applies to any business, sort of two different models of growth. One being hiring people who don't know 
what they're doing in the business, but mm-hmm. have a, a lot of, you know, wits about them and capability and training them up. And the other being hiring people who are experts already. Right. And I think both have advantages and disadvantages. Yes. I have chosen the former. And I think in the long run, it's going to be good because it's forcing, forcing me to develop the systems yeah. um, that are required to, to have a functional larger organism, larger business. Um, when my friend John was working for me, he's like a full-fledged, super capable machinist. And it was also amazing to just like hand him a print and, right. have, and then have parts come out later in the day. Yeah. Conversely, I didn't have any of the systems in place. And so there was no place to document the setups, you know, like the programs were on his personal computer and then he's not working with me now. And every once in a while we get one of these jobs back and I'm just like, oh, oh no, you know, I got to spend a while looking through the G code, trying to decode what tools we're using. Oh yeah. You know, so like this is a longer discussion, but it can be challenging hiring people who don't have experience in the trade, but I think it does, like I said, force your hand to create good systems um, across the board that will still be good systems. Even if you do hire someone who's an expert in the trade. Right. And I think the, 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 danger not the danger but the downside potentially of of hiring someone who's done a lot of something yeah especially if you're trying to revisit how things are done there can sometimes be a little more resistance it's like this is how i've always done it i'm good at it it works this way you don't know as much as me about this thing so why are you telling me how to do my job yeah or like even yeah so yeah so looping back to the tool holder thing yep um, and just part of how it was a big improvement aside from the time savings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the only programmer in the shop at the moment and I have the, not to say I'm a crazy expert, but of the people in the shop, I have the most exhaustive tool knowledge. Yes. And so now instead of being like, we're going to put a t- number 21 drill mm-hmm. in a holder and Ariel looking through the drills and being like at this one, or this one, you know, right. And I'm like, Oh, that one, sorry. It's, you know, it's this material. I didn't tell you that it's right. It's through coolant. I didn't tell you that now it's just like, there is an ID for a holder and just gets it and puts it in the machine. Right. So I don't know how to plug that into this. Um, It gets very complicated. I think the one thing that would be cool to build into the spreadsheet at some point, if you're interested, yeah, is a way to do sort of the simultaneous um, like distribute the time savings across different work centers so that if you're saying this saves three minutes of operator time, I see what you're saying at say $30 an hour plus a profit margin. And it also saves this much t- uh, machine up t- or increases machine up time by however many minutes, at, let's say a hundred dollars an hour plus a profit margin that you could kind of like, parse those out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a pretty cool. It would be a very cool tool for. Yeah. I guess we did want to ask um, if anyone listening is interested in either looking at this tool and plugging some other things in, um, we could try to put it online. Yeah. So people can mess with it. I'm sure someone out there uh, could build a much better version. So that would also (laughs) be super interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Any more thoughts on on this before we move along? I mean, my big thought on this, as you know, because I feel like I've given you this rant once or twice, um, <laughs> but it's just like once you start looking at these spreadsheets, it becomes so clear to me anyway. My big takeaway is just like you need to do this stuff like today, like get in your shop, find one thing to improve, even if it's taking 10 minutes of your time instead of like jumping right into work. It's like just taking notes of like what the failures are in your shop the day before. And what I mean by failures, it's like I had to walk across the shop to get a screwdriver. Why? It's like, let me fix that problem today. Mm -hmm. And let's do that every day because the, like the sooner you start, it's like if you plan on being alive, let's just say it's in your personal life. If you plan on living for more than like eight months to a year. Yeah. It's just interesting to me that no, that, I feel like growing up, this wasn't ever a thing I ever heard about ever, 
right? It wasn't like, hey, let's like in school, it's like, do your homework. It's not like, let's take, you know, 10% of the time to yeah. think about how we do this homework and then let's <laughs> do it, right? What are places we're doing rework? What are, or, I mean, I, it doesn't even have to be lean oriented, eight waste. It's just yeah. like, there, I, I didn't, I feel like there's not, like that's not a very prevalent view of just like spend some time every day thinking about how you're doing your work. And this spreadsheet, again, being on the super conservative side in terms of the savings, I feel like just really brought that home to me. Yeah. Like I had all these numbers floating around in my head. And one day I was just like, well, what actually happens? Like what is the long-term effect? And I think it's an interesting, I mean, I think it's just a, it's a human nature thing. Um, I haven't actually like read all these studies, but I think it's, it's like considered to be a failure of a lot of economic models. The assumption that we will make choices in the present that will benefit us in the yeah, long term. Right. And it's shown to be not the case that humans will routinely make decisions that benefit them in the present. And yeah. hurt them in the long term. Yeah. And there is some validity to that view, like present value of money, right? Sure. Like there is some, there is some like, yeah, there's, there's some amount that you should sort of downgrade your, your future savings because they're uncertain sure, because sure. so yeah. on. And then a big caveat to all of this, I would say is that this is assuming product market fit, right? With a business, if you're a speculative Yep. Like you don't know people are going to buy your stuff. Don't. And this is a huge <laughs> failure I see working with startups is people end up spending a lot of time perfecting a prototype yeah. in ways that they think are necessary instead of just like putting it in front of users and saying like, hey, would you pay me money today for this? Right. And it's like, no, I would not. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, big caveat. But in your personal life or even in your business life, you might not uh have reached product market fit but chances are the way you reply to emails or the way you manage your inbox that is something that's going to carry across projects right so like yeah. you could take the time to say why <laughs> am i reading an email more than once yeah what are the folders i need to put in place so that i only visit things one time or i you know whatever yeah anyway. i think oh i was trying to say and rant the, the model <laughs> helps bring the like uh conceptual and abstract from the future which yeah. we are as we just discussed bad at bad at prioritizing into the present in a way that i think is very helpful mm -hmm. um this kind of goes straight into uh my thoughts on trying to trying to identify like the 80 percent, 90 percent non-value add in a business um yeah, and I think we talked about that briefly last week. We did briefly, yeah. But basically, um, I forget which book this was in, but basically if you look at most people's activity in a shop, they will self-report that 85% of their work is value-add. Um, and then it turns out to be pretty much flipped. Where, yeah, uh, yeah, where 85% of their work is non-value-add and... Um, the other piece of that was how much of your work is something you like that's creative and that you have to be there for mm -hmm. um, versus could be kind of systemized. Mm -hmm. And that's also reported at around 85%, but it's actually just interacting with a lot of bad systems. So again, in an audit, it's flipped the other way. Yeah. So I went home last week thinking about that number Yeah, <laughs> and how to tackle it and sort of, I think, I think this is part of the reason why so many like, like, lean examples are in product-based businesses or production businesses is because those are easy systems to interact with, to quantify, I guess, not to interact with, but to quantify and to, yeah. to see your improvements. And so I went home thinking about my business because I don't have things like your sewing machine string trimming thing where I'm like, we do this exact same thing every day. I can see how this changes. Um, but I know that's there. I know that waste is there. It's probably, probably worse, honestly, in a job shop type business. Um, and so I was thinking about how to identify it. And so I had some thoughts that, Hey, I just want to bounce off of you. Yeah. And then we can, we can dive in a little bit. 
my, again, it's kind of stepping back from the product as the things we ship concept. I'm realizing that just a huge non-value add, I think, that's how I'm thinking about it in the moment, that we all take for granted is management. And yes, that basically, and especially in, in a business like mine, that is a big part of what we do or what we think we do at the mm. moment, because we have all of these quote unquote variable processes of <laughs> right parts coming in the door that look different you know, part, you know, jobs coming in the door four parts that go out that look different than the one before. There's a persistent feeling of having to manage this information, manage how we're going to tackle these things, which is true to a degree. Yeah. Um, so I've been thinking that kind of the lowest hanging fruit in the business is not going to be like, okay, how do we deal with walking to the saw and back? Like that might be something we can tackle. Right. And the physical is the physical movement of things and how we process stuff is easy. I think for us to conceptualize and, mm -hmm. and focus on refining, but it seems like in a business like mine, trying to minimize management is maybe going to be like the most impactful. Um, and if you ask anybody, I feel like if they want to be paying for managers, they would say no. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it, and it's also like just thinking about any organization or any system, having somebody just standing there effectively, conceptually, making sure that the process runs doesn't make sense. Like the process should run. The, yeah. The people in the process should know what they need to do from, from the process. Right. So anyway, curious, bounce this off you. Yeah. I guess a, a couple things that makes me think one, um, I feel like your example is so, uh, common, not only in what you're doing, but just the illusion of novelty or the illusion of like each thing is this new part. And, and so it's hard to standardize, right? It would sort of be like, like if you get a cake from the bakery and it's iced different every time you're like, man, like this happens so differently every time. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but there's like the same vanilla or chocolate cake underneath that was baked in the same pan, same recipe, same everything. And I bet ratio wise, that's about right for how much is variable versus how much is the same. Uh -huh. And especially once you consider what you just pointed out, which is management, right? Yeah. Like you interact with the customer, you need to get a like a PO, you need to agree on tolerances and a drawing. And like, there's all these things that have to happen. And when they don't happen, sometimes that goes okay. And sometimes it's right. really bad and you learn that and then you go, okay, next time I'm definitely going to get a PO from them. So they can't say, well, we weren't quite ready. Um, or I don't know, you know, whatever the thing is. Um, so I think like something I've definitely seen is that starting and this is why like this has to be continuous like take one chip at you know take keep just trying new things is because i think the second you start to build a system um you can it highlights what's wrong with your system yeah. but when everything is up in the air and nothing is systemized it feels like you're this like brilliant juggler right <laughs> like juggling a small business when really it's just like disorganized and yeah, you are probably like pretty good at managing all this stuff, but you get better, <laughs> but you don't want to get better. You want to get, you want to be able to get worse. Um, I think that's really apparent, like growing from a really small shop. I don't know if you saw this, but I think when you look at other people's quotes or like customers would come to you and be like, can you make this? And you're like, oh, that's no problem. It will cost this much. I can do it in two weeks. And they're like, really? Cause we got a quote for, so many thousands of dollars more and it would take them six weeks or six months. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is that management, right? When you are the sole like manager, operator, machine operator, it's so efficient in some ways. There's no handoffs. There's no breakdowns. There's yeah. And then you grow and you're like, oh, this is why they <laughs> quoted at three months. Yeah they have a whole business right. <laughs> um, uh, just a guy in a garage with an online metals account <laughs> right, exactly <laughs> yeah uh i don't know i mean I, I i was kind of interested and i stuck a note in here but um like toyota identified eight lean wastes yeah um i guess two thoughts on that one 
what should is we, should we actually we should i don't think we've actually laid them all out oh yeah let's go through waste. the eight lean wastes yeah do you know them off the top of your head definitely yes yeah. no <laughs> no i can name some of them uh the big one is overproduction that's number one okay let's see if i can do it overproduction Ooh, there's little cards you can buy online Ooh, wasted motion uh rework um wasted human potential now i'm forgetting which ones i already got uh there's reject you should probably read them. It'll probably be more engaging okay. content than me stumbling <laughs> along here. There's five out of eight. Uh, so they do this differently. Transport, wasted motion, I think, effectively. I mean, no, that's transportation. That's another one. Yeah. In, or it's a separate one. Yeah, I think so. Inventory, <clears throat> motion. So I guess the transport would be the movement of the goods. Motion would be the movement of the person. That's my understanding. Waiting. Uh, that includes people, idle equipment. Um, I think this would be separated from inventory, which is the product waiting. Uh, overproduction, overprocessing. So that would refer to doing more work, adding more components, or having more steps in a product or service than it is what is required by the customer. Defects. I think we're all aware of what defects are, hopefully. And skills, the eighth waste. That's that human wasted potential. Yeah, <clears throat> the waste of human potential, <clears throat> which I think is... Um, That's like my sandblaster. Yeah, I think it's really important, actually, um, and often overlooked. Yeah. Yeah, I think already I'm seeing that, or making that a goal in my business. So I don't, both the people who work for me are very... Uh, engaged, talented, capable people. Mm -hmm. And I hired uh, Coram, the newest newest guy, as a machine operator. But already I'm kind of like, it's silly to have you changing parts. We need to get away from this as much as possible. Interesting. Uh, figure out a system where if you are the person changing parts, you can, you can do other extremely valuable things in the interim. What right. that is yet, I'm not exactly sure because it's, as we all know, it's hard to fit important things into five minute chunks. It sure is. But I think it's okay for now. I think he's, he's interested in doing that to sort of get a better handle on the process. Yeah. But I am seeing the writing on the wall that at some point, at some day, you can't just keep on bringing in people to do a boring, repetitive job. I mean, maybe you can, but yeah, I think a lot of people do. Yeah, um, but that but, seems like an oversight. Yeah. And not only just from the human perspective, but also from the business perspective of like, there yeah. is a ton of value there that is unrealized. And even if that's banging through some of those really low hanging fruit, like easy to implement continuous improvement concepts, right. That mm -hmm. take five minutes, like sticking color coding tape on things. Yeah. Right. Like that can be mixed in. But I guess what I was going to say is the eight lean wastes. I was kind of curious if you look at a lot of businesses, do those categories, do those break down kind of similarly in terms of the ratios, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do you have like 50% of your waste is in overproduction, 20% is in wasted motion, 10%? I don't know. Right. I think it would, I'm sure it changes by company, it's but it's clearly going to change by like market too. Like a software company is probably going to have a different distribution than. Maybe. I mean, you can also always like wrestle things into the eight mean waste sure. just because you're a big uh, Toyota fanboy. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I guess the other piece that I was going to mention is there's a company and I'm forgetting the name right now. I watched a tour of their company and one of the things they did is went, okay, we're not Toyota. What are our major wastes? What are our top wastes? And they spent quite a while thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And it was really helpful to them in advancing their improvement uh, activities and the ones they landed on, which I thought were really interesting. So they were a, uh, basically a cons an engineering consulting group. Mm -hmm. So they're doing basically like job shop, but engineering stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, so like just more on the CAD design side. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to remember all their wastes, but one was interruptions, which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And so what that led to was them putting up a whiteboard and they said, anytime you have to interrupt someone, firstly, 
don't <laughs> um, <laughs> ideally, right? Because it's actually really, really bad for everyone. Yeah. Um, if you have to, okay. But regardless, log it on this whiteboard. Write down what you needed because there is basically saying this breaks down to an information mismanagement problem. Yeah. Why don't you have the password to log into OneDrive? It's yeah. not your fault, but let's address that rather than I hold that information in my head in perpetuity. Yeah. Um, the other one was searching. And so that applied to them for files. So like revamping their file system, um, revamping all their hardware in the workshop so that it was managed so that they could find it really quickly. So it's like, I need physical an M5. Program. Yeah, they do a lot of like physical uh, prototyping. Yeah. And so they need to like assemble a control that they design the circuit board for and design the enclosure. And these are samples, right? Um, or they have to solder up a board to test a thing. And so they have, they have I forget what they said, 30,000 components that they stock or something. Wow. And they were just spending a lot of time searching. Um, and, and I think what this brings up is the usefulness of categories to start training your brain to break things down and see the waste. And I think it's really hard to see waste. And I think that is one of the things I've noticed over the last two years that I've um, really gotten better at, at a glance, be able to rattle off, okay, that's wasted motion, that's over-processing, that's this and that. And it's been really helpful, I think, to find the waste. So I wonder if in your business, it would be worth thinking through what, and that might change over time, but like what's a major waste or what's two major wastes that are not listed by Toyota? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that is important. Um, I, I've also been struggling a little bit. I don't, I, I have a very hands-off management style mm -hmm. and struggling a little bit with how to like, how to get some of these concepts across without just being like preachy, annoying boss. Um, and I think I'm just taking kind of like the slow boat approach and mm -hmm. just kind of dripping it in here and there and starting with our little 3S thing. Right. You know, there's part of me that wants to like get them on board. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Be like, we are going <laughs> to tackle this today, <laughs> which is probably not the best way to go about it. And I, I'm sure we'll get there. But yeah, yeah I think, I think another aspect of this, and it's the culture aspect which in the Toyota system is like one of their pillars, right? Yeah. It's like there's the production side and then the whole culture side. And yeah. together they hold up this People this and system. JIT, I think, is there too, right? I believe so. Maybe. I know. It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, yeah, it's an interesting challenge of A, coming up with the thing in the first place, mm -hmm. and then B, how to communicate it to your people. And then actually that loops back to the fact that in the Toyota system, having the interplay between the shop floor people and the management people is a critical part of their, what they think makes their system tick and work is that <clears throat> management effectively has the, you know, the overview vision and the shop floor people have the on the ground vision and together they can create something good. And if it was just production people, everything would be optimized for their needs and but not see the right big picture and if it was just management it's reverse so i think definitely getting <clears throat> getting whoever's working with you on board in helping to create the ongoing thing is is pretty important super important uh i look at um like youtube instagram um a bunch of other tiktok they are user generated content platforms yeah they could not have grown to the extent they did if they decided, hey, we're going to make a bunch of weird dance videos to music <laughs> as a company. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> right. And like, I think it's the same thing. I think the second you are making yourself the bottleneck as like the holder of the keys to lean and you tell your people, oh, no, sorry, you don't understand lean. You haven't read as much as I have. Sure. No, that no, that's also waste. It's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't you try it? Like, how do you want to implement it? And then it's like tools for analysis. Here's a new tool for analysis that maybe changes your view. And like, I just, I think like there's no shortcut for sort of going through that journey. There would just be like giving someone, like, I think you could be a good teacher in giving them the information that they're kind of pulling from you in a funny way at a mm -hmm. given time. Something I've been doing, and I don't know, is just watching um shop tours of other shops 
that I think are inspiring mm-hmm. and just being like, look at that. We could do that. Watching <laughs> and, it with your, yeah, with your, book. yeah. And not the whole thing. I mean, some of them are an hour and a half, yeah. but you know, if, if there's a particular part I thought was really cool, we'll watch like 10 minutes or something or 20 yeah. minutes. And it's just like, if you go into my shop, it's not, I don't think visually striking. It's like, oh, are you lean? It's like, no, it's a mess. <laughs> it's like, it's a mess. It's disorganized. Right. And it's like, that is true. But, and I think there's been um, a like pretty good buy-in on that, like going through the eight lean wastes and just thinking about what that means. I mean, to me, it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. getting to rethink a lot of stuff you take for granted. Like the switch from thinking about inventory as an asset to inventory as a liability, like that's such a sort of, I don't know, <laughs> you know, messes with your head until it sort of sinks in. Like, yeah. oh, I can't actually sell that, <laughs> right? I can't like, yeah. no, A, no one bought it. <laughs> Yeah. Even if it's a complete product or B, it's like an incomplete product and it's literally just represents time I didn't spend on sales, time I didn't spend machining the thing people are ordering that is back ordered. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Um, do you want to loop back to the the job board and then we can yeah. kind of tie that in? Yeah, I'm super the, curious how that's going. To the managed, like, that's, I guess, me attacking the management side. Uh-huh. I didn't kind of put the pieces together until this last <laughs> week. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I I did a post on Instagram about it. I created a job board that effectively has all of our... Um, I've divided by parts because parts move through the shop individually, mm-hmm. generally speaking, not by purchase order. Um, Got it. And effectively there's it's a grid across the bottom we line up our parts um across the side and vertically we have all of our different processes oh cool and basically there's three divisions um divided by a red line and the idea being that everything in the first division has to happen before it can go to the second and everything Mm -hmm. in the second has to happen before it can go to the third and so the first the first processes are like um, you know, ordering your stock, making sure the stock's delivered, making sure we have um, a cut length in our in our ERP system so that someone can actually cut the stock mm-hmm. when it when it has arrived. Um, the next, and there's I think there's something else there that I'm forgetting right now. The next group is like, um, you know, programming. Oh, there's also like if we need a specific tooling for the job or if we have to make custom fixturing making sure that the parts or tools smart <laughs> are here. Uh, the second part is essentially programming and all of the setup processes to get onto a machine. Okay. And then the third aspect is running and then post-processing stuff. I think I'm remembering that correctly. That sounds about right. That's the basic concept. Yeah. Um, and what we do because not all jobs have all of the processes Mm -hmm. or like in the middle section, we have four work centers, essentially. Uh, Three milling machines and they're each a little different and then a lathe. Yeah. Which, as I said that, I realized I didn't put any manual machines on there. Uh, But sometimes they have that. Sometimes they have that. Uh, Anyway, we only populate the processes that that part will see. Mm -hmm. So... With little stickers. With little magnets. magnets. Yeah. So if it needs something, like if it's going to need special tooling, we put a red magnet oh, cool. on that. And then once I order it, I'll replace it with a green magnet. Mm-hmm. Um, same for, so if it's going to, if a part's going to go across multiple machines, you can just highlight both with a red. Mm-hmm. And then same for programming or and setup. Uh, and then it's very easy to see, like, it's running on this. Oh, but we still have to do that. Like, it's not done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like a, yeah, there's a machining complete little thing. Okay. And then, so we have red and green basically. And then I added yellow as a sort of like an in process or needs attention because it really stands out from the rest of mm-hmm. everything else. So an example would be right now we're running a large part order that the stock wasn't all on hand. So it's come in three deliveries. Okay. Last delivery is actually today. So for stock arrived and stock sawn, I put a yellow on both of those because it's like, we are running that part. 
it is on the machine. So it's also, Interesting. there's a green on, on running on the, the work center that it's on, but our material, it's still a, a to do sort of. Interesting. On our, it feels like you might need, this is not the input you're looking for probably, but it it sounds like you might need another color that indicates complete versus active versus that's a good idea. Uh, problem or Mm -hmm. needs attention or like anyway. Yeah. Um, and then a couple little updates I made, there's a row across the top that doesn't have anything. So I just made some little stars so we can highlight what it is we're going to focus on for the day. And then just a little like front of queue sticker. So I, we kind of know where the front is. Cause that's one thing that so like, it's like rolling. Yeah. Kind of computers do really good is right. they always have the thing at the top. The board does not do that. Right. It's just going to like refill from one side to the next. What is the board made out of? It's a whiteboard. Interesting. I wonder if you could saw it into long skinny strips and then just scooch just them around. Them? Yeah. Might that's work. An interesting thought to have like complete like you can pick up the whole Yeah. I probably heard that. <laughs> Got excited. Uh yeah, you could pick up the whole job and move it. Just scooch it around. I like Maybe. this. Yeah. I did um, run into the issue of like I got what I thought was a pretty big board and I put everything up and I was like, we're running out of space. Oh yeah, crazy. <laughs> Especially on the process side. Like there's things I wanted to put in there that I couldn't. So that might be an advancement. Huh. Yeah. And if it's all magnets and you don't actually need to write on most of it, you could just buy two inch by thin uh steel rod and steel like flat mm-hmm. stock and oh, paint yeah. it maybe you could even get it pre-painted uh-huh. i don't know and then yeah you could just hang them just hang them up stick the magnets on them that'd be kind of cool i don't know anyway be fully expandable yes it would yeah that is one thing that's always interesting with these physical things that you make is like i had to be like <laughs> okay what's the most parts that we think we could ever see in the show interesting right and i was like okay if it's a one inch magnet per part wow, we no, that adds up. <laughs> uh, one other thing we ran into that was kind of funny was just that because our shop is so small there was literally only one place on the wall where we could put this thing okay and that place was a spot where you can't reach the board oh no <laughs> because there's like a two and a half foot deep bench in front of it yeah uh so i had quorum make like a a rolling uh, track for it. And nice. So now it, when you want to interact with it, you actually roll it out over a doorway. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, but then you can stand right at it and switch stuff around and then roll it back. Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, I saw a photo of that looked like a good solution <laughs> to a small space. It's a good solution to a terrible yeah. thing. <laughs> right. But um, yes, yeah, so that's the, the overview. Curious if you're okay. You're, you said you had some thoughts. So I want to hear it. Yes. Okay. So I've been thinking a lot about, um, and this does relate, uh, I'm building a similar thing, which is a sales funnel, which is essentially a series of steps, theoretically anyway. Uh (laughs) Um, And I was thinking about what are the parameters for designing these things. And I think it's tempting to put things into the obvious categories of it needs to go to this step. So I'll have a a space to hold that. But I think, and maybe this is, both are probably true, um, trying to optimize for visual understanding at a glance mm-hmm. of where your bottlenecks are. So like making a system that automatically like highlights and surfaces where you should be working yeah. instead of like providing someone, there's this idea of like just-in-time manufacturing applied to data is every piece of information. You shouldn't provide more information than someone needs Yeah. any time, like ever. Yeah. You should only provide them the information they need when they need it. And me as a user of your job board or of my sales funnel, already what I'm seeing with my current sales funnel is I spend quite a bit of time looking at it, taking it in, and then assessing where I should focus my time. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of, I this is not actionable in any way, but was thinking they would be super powerful to think about it from that perspective if you could come up with solutions such that at a glance, it's like, I know exactly what I'm meant to be doing today mm-hmm. um, instead of a whole process of extracting the information into your head analyzing it then deciding yeah the other piece which leads to sops and and uh, like sort of scientific method for process improvement is consistency leading to uh you know ideas basically but i was kind of thinking in your case and you might already have this 
I suspect that if you said, okay, when we walk up to this board, we always do this and then this. And like, if Mm -hmm. in a column, Mm -hmm. we go from the top to the bottom and we hit the first one that's red or something, and that's what we spend time on. Yeah. And I bet it's sort of like, well, it's never that simple. Like it depends on X, Y, and Z and so on. But I suspect that if you made sure you were rigidly doing it one way, Mm it would be very quickly apparent that it is a bad way (laughs) instead of it going on for the next year of never really knowing Mm -hmm. what's good and what's bad and what steps to take. And so that's sort of, I think, where like SOPs become really powerful and SOP is standard operating procedure. Um, Anyway, that's sort of my thought is optimizing for visual like clarity in terms of what should be done. Yeah. And obviously what you've done already is like a huge step from it's a big step before. So one of the issues I was having with our online uh, ERP system, I wanted to ask you about that, like how you moved back Um, to physical. Well, you so you have an online ERP and it was interesting to me that you're going back to something on the walls. I was curious about that. We're going to have both. Um, There are things that the ERP does very well, like it's it's quoting on paper. Not going to do it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It just, I've done it in the past a long time ago. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work well. Um, Yeah. It just, that ends up in uh, like lots of data entry. Like it's just not good. You want to put it in once, have it there. You can edit it, follow it, et cetera. So quoting will consistent, will stay there. The other thing is like collating the information. So set up notes, um, G code, tool lists all of that need to travel with a part. Like you could put that in paper, right. but it works really well online. Yeah. Where the ERP system was was breaking down, and this isn't necessarily all our ERP systems, it's partially just the one we have, is so on the visibility side of like what to do when, jobs were sorted in the date they were quoted, mm-hmm. not the date the purchase order was placed or the date the due date for the job. Okay. So in going through the list, I'd be like, okay, this was before that, but actually this one needs to be done now. Uh-huh. And so that was one thing that was kind of a, a little bit of a failure. The other issue was just um, like Google Maps. If you've ever tried to use Google Maps and it's really good at either seeing detail or seeing the overview, but you can't see both at once. And I think it's just a limit of screen size. I've definitely found that. Yeah. Yeah. So in putting everything on this board, being able to scan quickly was pretty important. Um, so my hope, and initially I just put every every job, every part that we had active right now on the board. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it strategically because I was like, I have 20 minutes. I need to just put these up. So I just kind of like went through every work center in the ERP system and put it on the board. So okay. nothing is started out sequential. Mm-hmm. But we're already starting to see like a trend line on the board. Oh, cool. Um, of essentially, so it fills from bottom to top. So it starts out all red, fills from the bottom green. We're already on the left side, which is where we start seeing, you know, a green fill basically. Interesting. Towards the top. That's very cool. And the, the things that are not, that are behind are very obvious. Like they stand out like, oh, there's a trend line and then there's a bunch of red right in the middle of it. What's going on there? Interesting. So my hope is that, you know, we'll start to add parts sequentially and then we, and we can do a due date if we do your idea at some point of like being able to shuffle the whole job. Right. Be, you could then really get very like clear about what's due when. And start to see potential conflicts, right? Because yeah. if two things were mm-hmm. level. Yeah. Huh. But my hope initially is that once we, once things are going on in a sequential manner that actually reflects when the order was placed and, you know, assuming we have a fairly consistent lead time agreement with our customers, that should also reflect due dates. Um, I think that trend line is just going to become more and more clear. So that is my hope for the visibility part. Um, I like all of your ideas. Hmm. Initially, I'm just as the manager going to be starring I think jobs yeah, to help I mean, that the, sounds... help the employees like parse out. Right. Cause, but I was all, also very surprised. And I think I mentioned the, this to you on the phone. Um, I think 
interacting with software, people often have a feeling of not being experts and not wanting to mess anything up. And so just not interacting yeah. or not making changes. And once we have this board up, everybody understands magnets <laughs> and it's very, it's a simple system, you know? Okay. Yeah. And so like the first day we had it up at the end of the day, I went to like update it, make sure it was current. And my employee had already done that. That's awesome. And I was like, wow, this is, this is magic. That right there is you know, a big win. Yeah. You still have to kind of double check and it is a busy, it is visually busy. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to become more clear, but, and we may need, um, I just thought of another thing as I was talking would be your idea of a third, um, a third color would be to put or a fourth, at this a, point, a fourth right? color. Yeah, yeah. Would be to put, um, kind of like a, a a color marker at where that job is in its process instead of oh, just yeah. red and green, because I think like the red and green can definitely just kind of like all blend in. And even if there's a trend line, right. It could be a little hard to be like, what exactly am I looking at? Yeah. So if we had a fourth color, that was kind of like the divider this is where indicator. It is. Interesting. That could be pretty helpful. And then you could scoot it along. Have you seen, um, uh, Pearson's, sort of yeah and and he had the magnets with the different steps mm -hmm. and then you would put the magnet between steps if it was like in process which i thought was mm -hmm. you know yeah i think there's a there's actually it's pretty cool there's a lot of different states you can indicate huh. just, just with colors and placement yeah um or multiple multiples of colors like once I started getting into this initially, I was like, this is very simple. It's just a grid. And then I was like, we could embed a lot of information actually on That's this. That's cool. Depending on how, you know, how complicated we want to get. Yeah. Multiple colors. You can write stuff on the magnets if you want to. Right. So like for my own sake, from just because I'm often scattered with too many things, I just like uh, dry erase markered my initials on a couple of things that I wanted to remember to come back to that day. Oh, smart. And that and just then comes you did. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, or they were like important. I was like, this needs attention. Interesting. And it's going to get lost in the rest of everything to do today. I think it's very interesting. Um, in a lot of the shop tours I've watched, uh, people are running physical project management, mm -hmm. even in an age where there's all these software solutions out there to do it. Yeah. And I don't know that, like, I think the software solutions, I mean, they're incredibly powerful but sometimes it is just like too much horsepower and and yeah. too much detail it needs to deliver the value is what I've always, always what I often run into is like theoretically these these software solutions you can plug in all this stuff and it will tell you like oh order the material today or do this on this day and you can get all that and it's so compelling mm -hmm. but then if you like have to quickly put a job in and you don't know all that information it almost like breaks it does <laughs> and then you're like well, that's really bad. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Classic. And the physicals can sort of carry you through that whole range in a funny way. Yeah. And it's, visibility is just so big. Visibility is big. There's little things like I have some internal projects for work holding that I need to do. Okay. And I'm like, I don't want to put these through the quote process in my ERP system just to huh. get them on the board. I just like, so I've had like a note in my to-do list of like, Interesting. do these parts. Uh-huh. Whereas if that's on our physical job board just dry erase market, and, right. you know, schedule it on a machine. Like it takes one minute. So I think there's some flexibility there. I, I come back to the software thing. I think there's two big hangups. I think one is um, just the basic fact that you have to choose to go interact with it. Hmm. Whereas you don't, it's not just there. And sometimes companies get away from or get a, get around that by just having, you know, big screens up everywhere with, right. you know, status boards and stuff. But if you're talking about putting information in, you have to usually go choose and click through some, you know, selection of menus to put in the information that it needs. So I think that's a hang up. I think also there's the aspect that we, at least in the work that we do, maybe not so much if you're software engineering, but like we're working on physical processes. And I think it's, it's easy or intuitive to, to do a physical thing to mark that you've finished a process or whatever. Right. And I think it is a little bit of just like a brain switch to be like, okay, I'm, I did the physical thing. Okay. Now go mark it in the digital world. Um, it does seem to me like if it could be, 
you know, this would require a very, op- very optimized process. But, you know, if there was just like buttons, you know, yeah. it's like done. Yeah. And it feeds in. Right. I feel like those kinds of things could work really well because they don't require that whole other thought process of clicking through menus and where do I put the information and totally. how long did that actually take? It's just like done. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a whole other thing. Though. It sure is. <laughs> we are, I think, around an hour here. We are at, yep, exactly. Nice. Um, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up. Um, yeah, we'll bump the other stuff to next week. Sounds good. And again, I'm Uriel Eisen. Um, you can reach me at austere underscore manufacturing on Instagram. Um, please drop us any uh, ideas, thoughts on the episode, feedback, um, things we're doing well, things we're doing poorly. Um, we're obviously new at this and trying to continually <laughs> improve. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I'm Devin Bodoni of uh, Lichen Precision. You can find me at Lichen underscore MFG on Instagram and all the things that Ariel just said. Yeah. Send us, send us feedback, send us questions, etc. Yeah. All right. Cool. Till cool. next week. Right on.